Hello, dudes, dudettes, duders, and everyone in between, and welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. I'm your host, Jesse Kester, and boy, do we have a doozy of an episode for you today. This is the second episode in our four-part series on faith-based filmmaking. Our guest is Sonia Dosti, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. We cover a lot of ground. I think Near well as I can tell, it's as much ground as you can cover in about an hour or so with somebody that you never met before. So, you know, get get ready for that. It's a very kind of open and empathetic conversation. I, 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 like, I like talking to people, and, and Sonia's a person, so uh, she's, she's well within that, that category of, of what I like talking to. So uh, not not too much at the top of this. This was recorded back uh, back from the Kathy Fong Yaneda, who was who was in the storytelling series. So this was about a month and a half ago that we taped this interview. Um, this is the second interview of the day. Morning was a three or four hour drive. We did uh, Kathy's interview. Then we Kathy, her husband and I went out for lunch and then we came back and did Sonia's interview. Um, I had gotten up at maybe four o'clock in the morning or something that day, and uh, these 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 conversations do require a fair bit of focus, and I could be a little burnt out after one of them on a good day. Uh, to add on to that, the drive, and you'll you'll start to see that that I'm 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 getting a little punchy on this one. You can you can kind of smell it every now and then that I'm not quite uh, you know I'm, I'm processing things in my own way. Um, doesn't doesn't kill the interview, that's for sure. I think I think it's still a good conversation, but uh, you you can you can smell it you can smell it here and there. Um, Sonia Sonia's on point. She <laughs> she delivered on on what she promised she would, which was was insight, wisdom, and and the world through through her eyes. So uh, you know what? W- without further ado, I give to you. Sonia Dusty. Drops. Morpheus is fighting Neo. Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. I am your host, Jesse Kester, and today I am joined by the illustrious, the magnificent, the one and only... Sonia Piper Dosti. Beautiful. Welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'll be even better once this music burns down. Pretty good music, huh? It sure is. You loving it? Because I'm loving it. What, what would you say is your favorite thing about this song? Uh, probably the fact that I can't hear it right now. And Morpheus <laughs> is done fighting Neo. All right. We are on. We're live. We're hot. You good? Yes. Okay. I'm good. Now, how we start out each episode is with five in five. So I'm going to ask you five questions. You get one minute for each answer. Okay. They're kind of, you know, the, the broad swath painting job questions, and okay. we burn them down as quick as possible. Sure. So you ready? I am. Oh, and you get beeps. Question one, where did you grow up and how did that inform who you are today? Uh, I grew up in a small town called Alamogordo, New Mexico, and my father was in the military, and I used to look out to the sunset and imagine I was like Luke Skywalker, ready to go out west eventually to California and work in the film business. 
but you weren't like a traditionary military brat transplanting from town to town, place to place where you, no. you grew up in one spot? Well, I was born in Korea. My father met my mother okay. there. And so I was born in Korea. And then they came back. My father was stationed at the White Sands um, Missile Range in Alamogordo. So we lived there until I was actually 12. And then we moved to Texas. Actually, it was just my mother and my brother and I because my parents uh, divorced at that point. Oh, okay. Okay. How old were you when they divorced? Twelve. Twelve. So that kind of, it was a, a bit of a punch to the gut? Oh, yeah. Especially when you're going through puberty and you're yeah. already thinking a pimple is the worst thing in the world. Then suddenly your parents your divorce. Entire, the foundation of your entire life <laughs> yes. is, is exploding. That was question one. You ready for number two? Sure. All right. Number two. Uh, by your measure, what is the must-engage media, the book, the movie, the record that, that people should listen to before they die? Oh, wow. Um, well, I think... Anything by the Beatles or U2, music that they should listen to. I think with regard to a book, the Bible, because I am a person of faith, and the Bible has a lot for people to glean. Great story, great epic uh, drama, uh, a lot of uh, wisdom and philosophy in it. There's some good invi- advice tucked in the pages every now and then, yes, too, wouldn't you absolutely. know it? absolutely, and lots of good proverbs for how people should live. Uh, There's a whole book from, of proverbs, Yes, as far as I know. <laughs> a lot of actually great uh, financial advice, too, in the Proverbs, believe it or not. There was one, I'll think about it, I'm going to, financial advice, please keep going. (laughs) Okay. And then as far as you said, what, book, movie, did you say movie as well? Oh, it could be just anything. Or nothing at all, because your time is up. Um, You ready for question three? I am. All right. Purest joy, where does it come from for you? I think my pure joy comes from contentment and realizing that I'm so blessed every single day. I have a great husband, beautiful kids, wonderful family and friends. So I think my I, my greatest joy is always just focusing on what I have in the in the here and now because it could be gone tomorrow. Yes, it's good. <laughs> how how many kids? I have two boys, okay. ages uh, 11 and 13. Beautiful. What are they doing? Are they? Oh, I'm sure they're trying to beg my husband to play video games right now because they've had their fill for the day. So I'm, okay. I'm sure that's what they're up to at this moment. Okay. Okay. <laughs> or watching a movie. They're both into movies like I am. Well, which ones are you into? It's well, right now I, I watch with my, especially my older son. We're into all the Marvel, DC, Star Wars. Um, I got my son introduced, uh, interested in those types of genres, and so he loves to watch those films. So and we go opening night. <laughs> well, I got questions on that. Uh, you ready for the next yes, one? Yes, I am. Uh, here we go. Uh, what gets under your skin? I think. Oh, people who espouse faith, especially for me as a Christian, if if there are Christians who uh, say that they love Christ, I think what gets under my skin is to see that um, they are not living out the faith in a loving way. Um, that's that's something that gets under my skin. How do, how is it that we miss that 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 mark is so easily? It seems pretty clear where the Bible stands on love. Yeah, that it's good. Yeah, uh, how is it? That it's so, I'm not asking you to explain all of humanity in 22 (laughs) seconds, but how do we miss that mark? How do we miss that point so frequently in the Bible? I think because we become self-righteous on the one hand or and too proud of who we are and forgetting that we're actually nothing apart from Christ. And the gospel really says that we're nothing apart from him and he's, he's the one who's perfect. We aren't perfect. You're doing good. You're, you're fine so far. (laughs) Last one. I always forget which one this is. Oh, Yes. 
what's your advice for beginners at filmmaking, beginners at faith? Let's go with beginners at faith. What would you say to somebody just cracking open that Bible for the first time? I would say try to find a good, solid church where you can get discipled, people who can lovingly come alongside you and disciple you through the faith and through the Bible and living it out. And then for filmmakers, I would say that they need to read as many books as possible, um, books of philosophy, history, literature, because I think all of those things contribute to making someone a great filmmaker. Uh, what's what's what smells good in a church? What what how will you know if you walk in? How can you feel that good discipleship happening? I think you if you for? walk in and you are immediately greeted with people who are just loving you, no matter what you look like, who you are, what race you are, um, if people are just welcoming and loving, then you know this is a church where people are, are welcoming a stranger. You did it. All right. Okay. We're done here. Thank you so much for All coming right. on the Hollywood Fishbowl. That was a stunning breakout performance. Thank you. Um, how are you? I'm good. Glad what, to be here. Let's go back to uh, let's go back to Texas. Yes, you were twelve when you moved to Texas. I was twelve. Let's my uh, all of my Korean relatives had since moved from Korea. My parents had uh, sponsored them to come to the states, mm-hmm. and they had uh, they were becoming citizens. They all had relocated to Dallas. So when my parents divorced, my mom went to the one place where she felt like she could get support, and that was to Dallas, Texas, and that's where her uh, her mom and two sis- uh, sister and two brothers lived. So your mother's Korean, yes, and your father's a Heinz fifty seven mix. You know, I just did my twenty three and me, so it, it revealed that he's. Are you related to Genghis Khan? <laughs> no, I'm not. See, I'm the, okay. Not that I know. <laughs> but uh, on my dad's side, there's French, Irish, German, and English. Okay, yeah. that's uh, my family: French, Irish. German and Hungarian. Oh, okay. So, so we're close. We yeah. might be distantly related. Fifty percent of us is seventy-five percent from the same country. <laughs> yes. Um, then your your you come over here first, and then your family starts coming over. Well, yeah, my parents and me were uh, we came from Korea, from South Korea to mm-hmm. America, and, and what then year? when I was uh, that was nineteen. 19- 70. And then in 1975 was when my, um, when the rest of my relatives had moved over. So what was your, your, your sentient when that happens? Are you sentient? You're old enough to, to know. I just remember when like my, who you are and what you want in the world. And yeah, what, what does it feel like to come over here with your family? Well, I mean, you know, I was so young. I was I was an infant when I came over. So mm-hmm. obviously, I was grandfathered into citizenship okay. because yeah. my father was in the military. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, but then coming to this country, and my mom became a citizen, and I had dual citizenship for a little while because I had been born in Korea, but yep. with a military father. But when was my was that eighteen that expired, or gosh, it, it not to actually, get into the mechanics. No, everybody it was loves only it was visa. only it was only a few years that I that I had okay, that okay, dual okay. citizenship. And I would have I would have had to go back to. Korea several times, and my my mom and I actually never went back until 1997. And you had no real cognizance of the complexity no. of what that they, they didn't ask you. Not at all. Okay. But okay. it was interesting. I remember very clearly when my relatives moved from Korea and yeah. came to this country. I remember taking the trip up to Albuquerque and them getting off the plane and, and getting into the car with us. And my grandmother barely being able to speak English, but she opened up this 
this little piece of paper and it was a coloring page where I had colored something and my mom mailed it to her. And so that was how she first greeted me was opening that and showing me what I had colored for her. And so I have that memory so clear in my mind uh, today as if it were yesterday. That Uh, is so sweet. But when they came to this country, my grandmother and my aunt both worked at the Holiday Inn. They were cleaning, Mm -hmm. they were maids basically for Holiday Inn. And then one uncle worked at a sawmill. And then my other uncle, my grandfather worked as um, dishwashers at a little cafe at a restaurant. So they worked so hard. They, they just, they worked night and day for very little pay just to try to get started in this country. And then, so you're growing up, you hit, Mm -hmm. you hit 12. When does the fighting start though? Is it before 12? I mean, do they keep it private from you? Is it uh, with my parents, you know, um, was it I remember that it were, it was at times messy, but here's the thing. My father had uh, left the military. He was no longer wanting to, he was working in top secret. And I think the, the weight of that, and I think he saw certain things in government that he thought was, um, you know, pretty, that they were pretty incompetent. And so he had an honorable discharge. He was ready to leave. Um, And then he started his own business. And within a very short time, he became very well-to-do with his business. And I think that was actually the beginning of the end for my parents because once you gain a certain amount of success, that actually can create more temptations and and just a lot more more issues for a family. The, the the vices come knocking at your door yes. when when you've got the money to pay for them. Yeah. You don't have to go looking for them anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That yeah. So so you're you're twelve, they get the divorce and you move to Texas. Yes. What what's your life like there? You're starting junior high school? I at was that starting point? yeah, I was from junior zero? High. Are you on the fringe, on the outs well, with everyone? Well, when or? you're relocating to a whole new state where the fashions are different and people mm-hmm. speak with a southern Texas accent and you don't have that same accent. And I actually never wanted to adopt the accent because I was sure that I was not going to stay in Texas. I was absolutely bound to get to California. Okay, so this was a known known from Yeah, the, from my an desire to move to California to work in film and TV started probably when I was 10. And so I remember when my parents said, we're you know, going to get a divorce and my mom said we're moving to Dallas I'm like mom we're going in the wrong direction yeah, we need way, to be heading way. further west we're <laughs> Turn going east. right at the T in the road not <laughs> yes. left and so uh, so moving to Texas was not easy and junior high but um, but uh, you know I very quickly made a group of friends and I, one of those friends I'm I'm friends with uh, to this day she's one of my best friends what was calling you about LA was it in front of the camera behind the camera or just the whole schmear was I think all of it I mean I, I did a lot of theater as a kid and acting what but were your plays did you do the high school circuit oh yeah I did some of the high school circuit I did children's plays Mm -hmm. um just a lot of you know whatever was uh whatever they had open I would audition for anything and everything and and participate and um but I did a lot of things not just theater I also played the piano and I was in student leadership I was one of those people I kind of did a little bit of everything okay yeah this that seems to be a, a recurring theme in these conversations is just like a kind of general curiosity interest in everything and no no known focus as a child just give me that 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 yeah well and, i mean because you don't quite know um what all goes into filmmaking i just yeah. knew that i i loved being captured in my imagination i mean i grew up watching movies since i was really young my parents used to 
take me with them to the drive-in theater. I remember watching Bruce Lee films uh, in the drive-in theater, and they were probably inappropriate for me to watch at the age nah, that nah, I was nah, watching. Nah, nah. They stuck with you in an inspirational way. They were <laughs> they wildly appropriate. Yes, and and then I'll never forget that we went to the drive-in, and they had the double feature of Saturday Night Fever and Grease, and of course, then I fell in love with Grease and musicals, and I loved John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Um, so, you know, and so all of that, and then came Star Wars, and for me, mm-hmm. that was very transformative because I love um, space, science fiction, and for me, and I also grew up watching westerns. Like my dad loved to watch John Wayne movies, and to me, the Star Wars trilogy is really—it's a space western. And so yep. I fell in love with that whole trilogy as a kid. And and George Lucas and Spielberg really just what everything they did made me say, I I want to go and be in that business where you can be transported to another place and escape and have a great time. Just so I can uh, judge your entire being on a hyper-reductive question, yes, uh, Luke Skywalker or Han Solo, who were you crushing on as a kid? Oh, gosh. Well, I was, I was crushing more on Luke Skywalker because he was kind of the innocent kid, and mm-hmm. you know, Han Solo was kind of the bad boy. Yep. So I just thought he was trouble. Yeah, okay. <laughs> My older sister, she was all in on Han Solo. Oh, that, really? was, that was her guy. She loved him. She I thought he was him. the more handsome of the two, but Luke was the nicer of the two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you go to high school, you finish high school. Is there a college in there or is it straight to LA afterwards? Yeah, there was a college. So I was applying to University of Texas at Austin. They have a pretty good film program. And I applied to New York uh, University's film program and... Um, I went also applied to a women's college in the Bay Area. So for me, it was all dependent on where I would get the best deal because, you know, coming from a single parent, yeah, yeah, I, you I didn't think have about enough that. money yep. to go. And so I got scholarships almost everywhere I applied, but the best scholarship was actually to Mills College in Oakland, and it's a women's college. How old were you when you got into THX 1138? If you were welcome to the world of Lucas on Star Wars. <laughs> I actually didn't see that film before I saw Star Wars. I didn't watch... Uh, watch that until I think it was maybe in college in my, one of my film classes. It's a very different film. Yeah. It's a very, very different yeah. film. Yeah. And especially for George Lucas, who I feel after Star Wars, he sort of, I don't know. I don't know what happened to him as a filmmaker, but I, I, I think unlike Steven Spielberg, who really went to some interesting places, I felt like after Star Wars, it was almost as if George Lucas didn't quite go beyond the whole trilogy. And then even when he came back and did the prequels, which I thought for me as a, as a star Wars purist, I didn't like the, the prequel. That's uh, that's a hot take. I've never heard anybody say anything disparaging about the three star oh, Wars. Really? Pre- oh, they're like the most, <laughs> oh, they, they have taken more heat than any film in the history of cinema. Because for me, I, well, I know where it's a different kind of a, a rabbit trail we're going on, but I think the prequels for me, I felt that they lacked humor because when you think of four, five, and six, there was a lot of humor in those movies and you love those characters. You immediately fell in love with, you know, mm-hmm. Chewbacca and Han Solo and Skywalker, etc. But when you watch the prequels, it's like, how can you take the, some of the best actors, Natalie Portman, Sam Jackson, Ewan McGregor, and make them so serious and wooden, you know? I will say, can I pay some, yeah. pay some love to the prequels? Sure. Uh, that was when... I realized that Ewan McGregor is one of the best thespians of our generation because he gets through all three of those films. He does. Without any irony in his performance, without any... Right. He doesn't check out ever. Right. 
and he's he's in it. Yeah. And he does it. Like he really does that character. Well, he's of the Obi-Wan. only thing that anchors that yeah. whole prequel, really. But it was to me a shame that everything else couldn't rise to the level that he was at. That he, he couldn't carry this <laughs> poor guy. What five hundred million billion dollar <laughs> the franchise? Of that whole thing on <laughs> Put it him. all on Ewan's shoulders. That's unfair. <laughs> no. Is, uh, is, is, we're, we're, I'm not letting the cat out of the bag, telling tales out of school and saying that you're, we're here to talk about the, the Bible a little yeah, bit. We sure. might swing around to that. Is that walking with you the whole time through elementary, junior high school, high school, college, or when, when do you? Well, you know, my parents weren't really practicing Christians. Mm-hmm. They would say, oh, we're Christian, but we went Easter and Christmas was pretty yeah, much the extent yeah, yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was when I was actually, eight years old and I was visiting from New Mexico to Texas. This is at this point, all of my relatives had moved to Dallas. Mm -hmm. So I took uh, Southwest Airlines by myself as an eight-year-old to go visit my aunt and my grandmother and grandfather and uncle. And uh, I went with my aunt to a a little store where she was working. It was a little, it was a men's clothing store in downtown Dallas. And her coworker, I'll never forget, it was uh, 1978 and he was wearing this powder blue suit and his name was James. Um, He was African-American and I'll never forget that he had the most amazing, you know, it was an Afro because that was the style back in the late (laughs) seventies. But but he and I started talking about God and he asked me, do you know who Jesus is? And I said, isn't he the son of God? And and he said, did you know that you can't have a relationship with, with God without, you know, having a relationship with Christ? And so that was like, he went through and shared the gospel message with me. And it was, I had never heard that before. And so he was the first person to ever share that with me. And from that point forward throughout, from that, from that point forward until the rest of my life, I was like, I, I believe that. I, it's hard to explain. That's where faith becomes very intangible. It's hard to describe. But from that point forward, I never doubted that the only way th- to God was through Christ. And and so he said, you need to start reading the Bible and getting to, to know who God is. And I'm eight years old at this time. Yeah. So I remember coming back from that trip and I told my parents, we have to go to church. Please take me to church. And so I think my mom took me a few times and I was joining a little youth group. And so whenever she would take me, I would go to the youth group and I loved it, loved learning the Bible. Loved being in that class, um, but which were the stories that spoke to you early on? It, well, it was really a lot of just the New Testament and okay. all of Christ's teachings. Um, okay. Some of the Old Testament stories I didn't really grow up on those, but um, I would just read some of those Bible story books that were very colorful, and that was kind of how I got my early mm-hmm. education of the Bible. Um, but over time, then my mom just didn't really want to go to church because yeah. my dad didn't want to go, and so when one doesn't want to go, the other doesn't want to go. So I remember walking in on a Sunday morning and saying, "Mom, Dad, can we go to church?" And they didn't want to go, and I would just be so frustrated because, and that's where I say that faith is a gift. It's not something I earned. It's not something I can explain. It's just something in me wanted to be at church and wanted to learn about God. And so then a few years later when they said, we're going to get a divorce. And, you know, the first thing I said to both my parents, I said, you know, you might not be getting a divorce if we had gone to church together. You threw I, that I, down I, on the table? I threw that down I'll bet on that the went over so well. That they oh, were yeah. just like, oh, thank you for the feedback. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll take that into account next go around. <laughs> Um, and it's funny because now my mom and I talk about it and she said, you know, I, she said she had made a deal with God where um, when I was three, she and my dad actually divorced when I was three. And, and they stayed together. And they were divorced for a year. My mom came out here to actually San Luis Obispo with me for a little under a year. 
And then she kind of made this deal with God. She was like, God, if my husband and I can reconcile, I promise I'll go to church. I'll go every Sunday. So they did reconcile. you, You hit a nerve with that one. Yes, I think I did. So we've talked about that. And she said, I really should have stuck to my the deal that I made with God. I should have really just gone and just been faithful and learn and grow. Uh, she goes, but I wasn't growing as a human being. But you're not, you you can't take faith like you said. It's something, I haven't been given faith. Yeah. I, I have mm-hmm. none. So <laughs> but, <laughs> keep that in mind. Yeah. When, whatever, whatever you say, whenever you say Jesus is the son of God, my brain hears the metaphor of Jesus is the son of the metaphor of God. There's just this right. constant translation. Yeah. So please bear with me. No, that's fine. And that's that's really why I want to be doing these conversations is because it's a world I don't, it's, it's invisible to me. I see yeah. it every day, but it's invisible. Yeah. Other people are experiencing it in real time. I'm not. So right. please just speak. Okay. No, and I appreciate your honesty I'm just going to listen. It's, but then there's that, there's kind of like a little bit of a catch 22 in faith. And like, if it's fact, it's not faith. And if it's faith, it's not fact. So <laughs> you, do you couple with that? Yeah. And How? that's my boys are struggling with that a little bit. My younger son says, mom, I just need to see Jesus in person. And then I'll really, really believe. And I said, but even when he was living on earth and in the Bible, mm-hmm. he would say things like, I'm here with you and you still don't believe I'm doing miracles. Um, and people would still not believe. So, um, I oh, think yeah, we no, can no. have all the miracles on the planet. And it's, if, if you don't have that gift of faith, it's just not going to resonate with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Walking on water. My first thought is, yeah, well, like David Blaine just uses plexiglass. <laughs> so what? It's, there's a way out. Like the, your brain can find a way out of any belief yes. if, if you give it enough room. You don't even have to give it room. It'll find, it'll find a way to believe whatever it believes without your without your contribution to the dialogue. Right. Yeah. So My Romans calls it, we just suppress the truth. Mm-hmm. That's what Romans says. Keep going. Keep going. I'm listening. <laughs> it says that man will, even if they know the truth, they'll suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. So there's, um, you can, the whole idea that you could be presented with facts and you could be presented with evidence. And sometimes we'll just, we just suppress the truth. The, my dad calls them comfortable truths. Mm-hmm. The ones that we, we hold to, to not lose our minds. They're comfortable. Yeah. I, Yeah. And I'd, I'd suppress some truth to hold on to comfort. I, 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 it's not even, I don't even, it, it, it's a, not a shortcoming unique to me. It's a shortcoming embedded in every, I believe, every human heart. Maybe yeah. Jesus well, got also, out of it. Maybe yeah. he, he figured, but he got cranky sometimes. He, there, well, he, he had good reasons to seem <laughs> upset. <laughs> no, he, 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 was, uh, he was delivering on many promises that didn't need to be made. <laughs> And had never been made before and had never been delivered on. And people were still like, yeah, come on. You're phony. You're fakey. You're phony. So let's reload on those drinks a minute. So uh, at eight, you you find. I hear. I hear the You hear the call. You hear the call. Yeah. And I believe. Yeah. Uh, But. I the way I describe it is that until I really was in my 20s where I was able to on my own find a church, find a good Bible study and grow that way, I was just in this plateau. I was in a state of arrested development yep. with my faith. Yep. Because yep. Yep. I would try to read the Bible and like you said, um there was some of it that just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I wanted it to make sense. And I, I thought to myself, I need to understand this. Um, so I would go to some churches here and there throughout my high school years and um, try to find the right 
teacher, but it was hard, you know, growing up in Texas is not, um, there's every, there's a church on every corner and we joke around that every Texan thinks they're a Christian just because they're born in Texas. Um, but there's a lot of crazy doctrine there. There's a lot of prosperity, but what we call prosperity gospel doctrine out there, which is that you name, you name it, you claim it, Jesus will give you everything you want, including prosperity. Uh, so there was just a lot of things I was exposed to. I was visiting different churches. Friends would say, oh, come visit my church. And I would go visit and see things and be like, eh, there's something that's not quite right about that. So, um, so yeah, I just was not able to really grow in my faith throughout my teen years. And then, you know, I was a teenager too, so I was having you know, periods of rebellion and, oh, yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. rebelling against wrong. my mom and all of that, sneaking and out at night and <laughs> Between drinking. 13 and 20, you will uh, be able to say, to, to delegitimize anything that's thrown at you. So at some point in, in those years, you can yes. figure out a way to, to not accept anything. Oh, yes. Whatever it is, yeah. you know why it's bullshit <laughs> and you can tear the whole system down. <laughs> We've all been there. Yes, it's, we have. It's uh, life is a lot easier once you're out of that phase. Right. <laughs> it's very, very confrontational. So what 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 opens it up after you get past all that? Like when when do you find your footing again? Past all the 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 what was it? Prosperity churches or there was prosperity churches. What, I visited the, Catholic churches, uh, Baptist, Methodist. I mean, I tried. What gets you up type. to that next plateau, though? Like what what kind of what kind of shells did you have to crack to? To re-engage and you know to re what? It re-up. was really until I moved to Los Angeles after college that I started to look for churches, and I just wanted to find just a very simple, straightforward church that didn't have so many bells and whistles and had a good Bible study. Mm-hmm. I wanted to find something that felt a little more academic in in a Bible study where I could just learn what does the Bible have to say, what period was it written in, and who was the author, and who what was the intent of the letter written by this particular author, and yes. what life experiences did God use in this particular author's life to bring to bear on this particular text. So it was joining a Bible study in 1992, 93, that I think that's where my growth started to happen. And then simultaneously, that's when I entered Hollywood and started working full time. So that was kind of an interesting trajectory because everything I was learning over here was really kind of at odds a little bit with what I was doing for a living. There is a fair bit of uh, decadence, a lack of humility mixed (laughs) in with the LA culture. I I, I don't think I'm speaking out of school on (laughs) that one. (laughs) That is, um, that's, that's the, the door I'm using as I, do my studying on the Bible is the the kind of historic mm-hmm. perspective, trying to learn how how it all relates to to mankind's evolution and, and the history of of our species. And I think that's a very exciting. It it seems like it would be the most dry door possible to enter this this party. But I, for me, it's it's really a mm-hmm. a fun a fun way to 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 get. Is it, does that sound reductive to be like it's fun to to. Yeah. I think every person's uh, faith story is different, and there's no two stories that are alike. You have some people who are what we call cradle Christians, born into a Christian family. Mm -hmm. They believe from the time they're young, and then you have people who had horrible, like a horrible life story, and they hit rock bottom, and then faith is what helped them to climb out. So there's no two stories that are alike. So I get excited when I hear different people share, well, this is how I came to understand my relationship with God, and hearing that whole path. Path for each person is very unique. It's it's different, and it shows how God's power works. It's just it's different for every person. I think, yeah. The here's the, the complicated thing about the Bible is if you 
if you can read it and not be stimulated by anything in it, mm-hmm. that is on you. There's so much, so many ideas, so mm-hmm. many turns of phrase, so many beautiful stories, so many yeah. beautiful metaphors that it, that if you can't respond to any of it, it it's, it's you need to do some soul searching. Yeah, <laughs> like you you need to go back to ground one. And I think a lot of the things that the Bible teaches, and specifically what Christ orders us to do, so to speak, or commands us, um, is so counterintuitive. I mean, love your enemy, pray for your enemy. That's not something any of us would want to do. If somebody came up to you on the street and started yelling expletives at you and hating you for no reason, and, mm-hmm. and Christ is saying, yeah, you need to pray for that person. Uh, that also, is not your first say, instinct. Sorry, the other week I walked up to you and just started shouting expletives. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that we'd be on the interview together. <laughs> I just, really not my best day. Sorry about <laughs> well, that. Oh, that's okay. I've been praying for you this whole time. Okay. <laughs> that's how we're able to do this. Okay. <laughs> but no, loving your enemy, turn it, t- turn in the other cheek. Turning the other cheek. Give them if they hit you with one, give them the other. Yeah. If, if, heap coals on your enemy's head. That whole idea, heaping coals, was a phrase of just that you're heaping the goodness and kindness on them. I mean, that who does that? Who wants to do that? My instinct, my flesh. If someone were to come up and start yelling expletives and calling me horrible names, I'd want to punch their lights out. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's initially what my look. Flesh I would said, I'm do. sorry. <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> which is which book do you like the most? Oh gosh, I would say Romans because the theology is uh, very rich mm-hmm. in Romans, and there's so much about my faith that I think I understood better because of Romans. Are you are you an Old Testament person or? I used to hate the Old Testament. Now, why Be- would you? Why would you go and hate <laughs> the Old Testament? Well, because I was like so many other people. I was bifurcating the Bible, saying, "Well, the New Testament God is Jesus and nice and kind, and and then the Old Testament is like mean Father." And and that was before I really read it all over and over in in its entirety, and sort of linking the old with the new, and mm-hmm. seeing that there is a con- like a story of continuity that exists, and that Christ really is mm-hmm. present throughout the whole Old Testament. Testament, um, and that so much of what happens in the Old Testament leads us to why we need Christ in the New Testament. I think I'm not I'm not that deep in. I have a passing familiarity with old and new, and mm-hmm. I'm finally doing the the, the thing with the, the whole thing, the yeah. page by page. I think, from what I know about the new and what I know about the old, you need the old, the the. The new, everything is so concrete. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the Son of God. Right. God is the perfect being. He's God, flesh incarnate, and right. through loving Him, we can love God. And love one another. And love one another. Mm-hmm. It's all so clear-cut and so uh, concise. Old Testament, sometimes God is a man walking around. Sometimes God is can't be seen because he's too powerful. Sometimes right. he's sitting and eating dinner with them. Sometimes right. he is the, the force of nature mm-hmm. that is tearing cities to, to yeah, dust. To ruin, yeah. that, that it's all very abstract and poetic or maybe very literal and true. Or, but you have to, I feel like you have to contend if you, if you, you can't get the, the concise version for free. Right. You have to also be willing to contend with this very abstract, very heady mm-hmm. set of stories. Yeah. To get the 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 whole picture, there's so I don't know. Well, even in the original like curse of Adam and Eve, and when God says 
to Adam and Eve, you know, this has happened, but I will send through, and he tells Eve, through your seed, you know, will be the redeemer. So he's giving them this hope, like, yes, you've done these things. You didn't listen to me. You didn't trust me that this was the best way. You had to go your own way. But he says it's, he says to Eve, there is hope through your seed, through all, basically through your progeny, and Jesus is going to come through her ultimately um, to save to save humanity. And then you have all the different prophecies in Isaiah and, and the Psalms and the and some of the minor and the and the major prophets that all talk about the future coming of the mm-hmm. Messiah. And so again, all of those things that just show that that you know that we need Christ and and actually that brings up like I think about the film actually The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson, that scene when Jesus is in the garden and he's praying right before he's going to get crucified and you see that that serpent that's in the garden and then he steps I don't know if you remember that film but there's a scene where he he very powerfully steps on the head of the serpent and that is what is in the um, when God tells Adam and Eve and he says to Eve you know your seed will crush the serpent's head and so it's very powerful. Like Mel Gibson got that yeah. really, he got that right, that whole scene. Um, so yeah, all the Old and the New Testament, they tie together so much more than people understand or realize. But it just takes that time. You have to really read through it, and it's not easy. Because most people read through you know, Genesis and Exodus, Deuteronomy, and then by the time they get to the end of the Pentateuch, they're like, oh, forget it. I don't even want to keep reading. There's, there's a lot. There's yes. a lot of rules about uh, when you can kill a bull and right? what you can cook your goat. Like there's- In Leviticus, yeah. It takes a lot some of the rules. It takes some some side paths. Yes. They're winding garden paths throughout <laughs> that book. It's not straight adventure throughout. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but when I read those and I think, oh, thank goodness that Jesus fulfilled the law and I don't have to go by this anymore. Like this is he fulfilled the law for me. He lived a perfect life. I don't have to go by these Hold sets up. of laws. Slow down. Slow back yes. up. Explain this to a to a plebeian or sure. a, 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 not a well, Nubian, but a newbie. <laughs> Well, part of the gospel message is that um, because we're sinners, we're all condemned, but the hope is that Christ not only came to earth to to, to pay the penalty of our mm-hmm. sins on the cross, people get that part right, but the other, other part people don't ever bring up is the fact that he also lived on the earth in our place, lived perfectly, he lived righteously, and we get credit for that. So, in other words, it's as if my husband always says it this way when he preaches because he's a pastor. But he, he says it's as if Jesus took the test of life. He got an A plus, and he writes your name on it. Uh, okay, and we an- take the test of life. We get an F. We deserve an F yep. every single day because we fail <laughs> every yeah. single day. You know, every errant thought we have, like if it's we're on the road and we see someone cut us off, and in our head we may not flip them off, but in our minds and our hearts we're flipping them off okay. because we're so angry that they cut us off. Well, see, I live my truth. I lean out the window. With- <laughs> Two middle fingers aloft, (laughs) screaming my head off. Well, guess what? You may be doing that, and me, I'm not doing that. But in my heart, I'm totally flipping them off. And guess what? The whole point is that Jesus sees my heart, so I'm not getting away with it. I might be getting away with it on the outside where people are seeing you flip off the car. And they're thinking, oh, look at Sonia. She's she's withholding her. She's not doing anything wrong. But but God knows my heart. If in my heart, I'm like, I can't stand those jerks, and I'm in my heart flipping them off. Well, guess what? Christ sees my heart. That's one thing that strikes me about the New Testament is it feels like a sort of a a consolidation of the chaos— Mm-hmm. The Old Testament alternates very quickly between chaos and lists of rules. Right. Mm-hmm. Neither, like the 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 chaos is not survivable, and the lists of rules are not sustainable. Like we just, it's just I don't. 
we can't, we can't, we, right. yeah. <laughs> we just can't. And to have, the, to have the whole story be kind of like focused and, right. and renewed is essential. Yeah. Well, and, and all of those rules in the, in the Old Testament was, the whole point was that you had to do all these things to be holy before God. And the thing is, none of us can truly be holy. I mean, on the, as long as we're on this earth, one little white lie immediately means we're not holy before God. And well, so, let's, let's so that's why that we up. need Christ, because Christ is holy. So we get to have His holiness, and He takes on all of our blemishes. I, d- I disagree with you just a little bit there. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, uh the closest holiness is love. So by sharing love, aren't we becoming holy? Well, I would say holiness. Uh, you, your definition of holiness is love. I would say holiness. Holiness in the you know in the Bible is talking about being set apart, set apart, from, different. Well, and then in God's case, He's set apart from us because He's perfect. He's righteous. He's a perfect judge. We aren't holy like Him because we are. We are blemished. We are sinful. We have hearts that get angry. We have yeah, hearts yeah. that resent people and say things and do things that are very hurtful. So, because of that, we're not holy like He is. Now, no, can, no, 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 can not we one have, to one ratio. Yeah, but can we? I mean, do we have love for one another? Absolutely. Those are some of the attributes that God shares with us: is is love. We have the ability to love. But are we able to be perfect like He is? No, and that's why we needed the remedy, which is Jesus, who was perfect. That's why he's always compared to the perfect lamb, yep, you know, because yep, yep, the yep. Old Testament, you know, as you start reading through the Old Testament, you'll see all the times when they're always sacrificing the perfect, unblemished lamb. Yes. Well, you know, Jesus is referred to as the lamb of God. He was that perfect lamb sacrificed, you know, for God, perfect, the perfect sacrifice. But I guess kind of what I'm driving at is that the the path, like the 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 holiest path is not being like God, but trying to be more like God. Isn't that the same thing? You said the path is to not be like God, but to be like God. No, 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 no. Not, <laughs> the, the, whole, the holy path is not being like God, but trying to be like God. Trying, doing better today than we did yesterday. Yeah. Sharing more love today yeah. than we did yesterday, yeah. and, knowing and, that the, and, that it's impossible that if if we, uh, I think what what I'm what I'm driving at is that in the middle of the table between us is God. I hope I hope that God is pure love. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we can we agree yes. on that? Yes. As to as to Absolutely. adult human yep. beings, yep. that God love. is pure love, and I can't be pure love. I'm a messy human. Right. Um, the next best thing is to always trying to is to to try to get closer to pure love, knowing that it, it's never attainable, right. except maybe in death. Maybe it's possible in death. I don't. I can't speak on the mm-hmm. afterlife because I haven't been there. Right. But for the time being, the that's that's the, the, my experience of of holiness and divinity is is the trying mm-hmm. to to to. To get closer to it, yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons why I love Romans so much because Romans mm. talks about that. Yes, when God saves us, He also is. It's a lifetime journey of Him sanctifying us. The word sanctify is that He's. It's the process of making us holy and and more like Him. Yeah. Um, will we ever at- obtain that perfection in this lifetime like Him? No. But the good thing is knowing that when we die, we will be 
perfect. I mean, it's, there's no more death. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. There's no more sin. There's, there's that perfection that we, that we inherit because of Christ. What do you reckon is the most painful experience for a human being? Most painful of all those things you're just listening listing of of what there will be no more of. What Mm -hmm. do you think is the the most universally painful? What do you think hurts the most? And if we were to think of humans not as individuals Mm -hmm. but as as one organism, well, I mean, obviously, for me as a person of faith, it's it's Mm -hmm. basically believing that there's no purpose on this earth that we're just here and then we die and that's it. Like to me, it's that would be a a pretty sad existence. That's pretty grim. Yeah. I, I feel like we, I, I believe we have a purpose. You know, we're all here. Or there's a purpose for all of us. And, and I believe God has created that purpose for all of us. But, um, but I think the idea that, yeah, I'm going to die and I'm just going to turn to dust and that's it. And there's no nothing. And it's like, wow, then why, why are we here? Why, yeah, why bother? And, um, and then if you're really, really depressed and, uh, you know, and you and some people who say there's life isn't worth living then if you believe that it's not worth living then what is there to do i don't know it's um i have that hope every single day knowing like i i'm here for a reason it's to bless other people to love other people and to grow and become more like christ and to hopefully reflect his kindness his love his um compassion have have you coupled with depression yourself? Is that something? I think we all have been there. <laughs> it's like, it's like have you coupled with hunger <laughs> yourself? Have you ever been thirsty? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can look back at many different times when um, I've struggled with depression. You know, I know some people struggle with it a lot more. There are some people where it's crippling, and yep, yep. and that's so heartbreaking. And um, But I think we've all been there at some point, and there's so many things that could factor into it. It could be, um, it could be a divorce. It could be um, losing a child. You know, it's. um, It could also be some physical, hormonal things going on in your body. I mean, we don't know. There's just a lot of factors that can contribute to severe, crippling depression. Um, But yeah, there have been times where yeah, I didn't want to get out of bed. But you got out of bed. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about movies. Yes. I think we... <laughs> we love movies. <laughs> yes. So, I think the, the main kind of crux focal point of this... Con- uh, obviously, there's no main focal point of this conversation. <laughs> I know, because we're all over the place. <laughs> yeah. um, happy to visit every, every exhibit we've been to in <laughs> yes. this museum of your mind. But I think we're... I, I kind of wanted to chat with you a little bit about, about faith-based filmmaking. Mm-hmm. and what's, what's your involvement in that? And then we'll go from there. Well, um, in the last several years, I've, um, well, I have my own consulting business. So I do read um, screenplays and treatments and other projects when people are trying to write faith based stories. So I gladly, you know, I'm so excited to read um, screenplays that come along when people say, look, I'm, I'm writing this story and I've got the screenplay, but I'm stuck here. Or um, I need to know, is this something that could be good for the faith based audience? Can this be commercial? Here's my question about yes. faith based film. This is the big one that's on my mind is that a, uh, that the, 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 Spiritual journey is such a, a mm-hmm. personal, at least for me, yeah. it's a very personal and private yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also an experience rooted in uh, quietness, austerity, humility. Mm-hmm. Um, personal, quiet, austere don't usually describe the film industry. Yeah. So how do we reconcile 
what should be a personal, quiet, austere experience mm-hmm. with a very expensive, very public. And I'm not saying that there's no room for community whatsoever in yeah. the church. Obviously, the church is exactly community. But yeah. how do you how do you how do you personally square those two very contradictory impulses? Well, I think that's uh, when I worked in in Hollywood and mainstream Hollywood. I was trying to actually work on a couple of faith based projects. There was one with uh, about Noah's Ark. We were trying to do a modern retelling of Noah's Ark. And what was hard about that was having so many different perspectives on how it should be made. And and I mm-hmm. was much more like we need to be faithful as faithful to the text as possible, because if you deviate too much from it, then you won't get the faith-based audiences. And that was what was so hard to describe to a lot of my colleagues and peers in in Hollywood. They didn't understand why faith-based audiences weren't going to movies like The Last Temptation of Christ by Martin Scorsese, which a lot of people considered very sacrilegious because it was taking some crazy liberties with the life of Christ. Um, And then when Passion of the Christ came along, like that film was really castigated by mainstream Hollywood because I think Mel had really taken a different alternative route to get support for that film. He went to a lot of mega churches. He went to pastors. He mm-hmm. was like, hey, this is the film I'm making. And then it sort of went through that thing where they had all these rumors that, oh, he was working with very anti-Semitic people who wrote the script and everything. And, you know, I remember having lunch with um, a woman who was an agent in Hollywood and and she told me, she's like, you know what? I cannot watch that movie because I hear it's anti-Semitic. So I asked her, well, on what what's the evidence that you have that that's true? She's like, well, I heard that. And I said, <laughs> I okay. Don't know. It seems, it, the, they kill him. <laughs> well, and but it's, I mean, if you watch the film, the Romans come off as the worst. They're the bad guys, yeah. really, because they're the ones who carry out the execution. Yes, is it? are the Jews the ones saying crucify him, crucify him? Yes, but it's the Romans who carry yeah. out the actual execution. So really, everybody's a bad guy in there. I mean, even his own disciples totally abandon him, so they're bad guys too. But what I said to this agent, I said, look, I said, how, I said, so that means you're okay if you want to send me a writer to read. Are you okay if I say to you, you know what, someone told me your writer sucks, so I'm not going to read it. I said, or would you want me to judge that writer myself reading the screenplay? She was like, oh, she goes, okay, you have a point. I said, I said, don't judge based on rumor. I said, go watch the film, see what you think, then make your decision. But it was really, it was a really weird time. I just remember that, that film, just people were staying away from it in, in mainstream Hollywood. And I'm thinking this is, this is from the filmmaker who made so many people so much money in that industry. And obviously he had some controversy that went on around that that time. That I'm trying to remember the timeline. Was the the poo hitting the fan when that film came out? After that film, came, I mean, he hit he hit a wall. He hit a wall, a very a, public wall. He did where and he I'm trying said to remember if that things. was before, during, that was or actually, after. That was actually after. I thought it was after. after. I thought after. he was still in good grace. Um, I think there was, and I won't say the agent's name, but there were there was an agent, a very powerful agent, that just had it out for him and his film, and I had heard rumors that it was two things. One, that he was upset that he could never represent him, so he went on a crusade to oh, really destroy the okay. film. And then the second rumor about that same agent was that um, that he was really wanting to quash anything that might come off as anti-Semitic about the film. So, um, so I, I think the whole thing was just really... It was a sad situation because everyone I've ever known who's worked with Mel has said that, and I had a really good friend who worked for, she ran his TV company. Um, and everyone I know who's ever worked with him said he's 
such a great guy, treats above the line, below the line people all the same. He um, is good to people who work for him, and he's very funny. He plays practical mm-hmm. jokes on, and all of his actor friends still defend him to this day. Robert Downey Jr., Jodie Foster, will those people will go out on a limb for, the, for him, and they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Robert Downey Jr. was upset, saying, look, you all gave me a second chance, even though I went to prison. He's like, and you're, you know, this guy had some, said some bad things while he was drunk and you're going to hold that against him, even though he's made you guys a lot of money. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting where Hollywood can be very unforgiving sometimes. And then other times they forgive other things. So yeah. it's, oh, it's not very consistent. Uh, yeah. 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 You don't know which eye is going to be the blind one right. that gets turned and wait, yeah. yeah. And the, the, I guess not that we're looking for any conclusion, but the closest thing I've come to a conclusion is it's uh, it's up to the individual who who and when they separate the artist from the art. Right. And if they choose not to separate the artist from the art, that's got to be okay. Well, and these these were the people who were castigating him, punishing him. But meanwhile, they were saying, we need to bring back Roman Polanski. And they were doing movies left oh, and right God, with Woody on. Allen. So I'm no, like, no, 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 come no, 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 on. No, 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 You don't get <laughs> and, to pick and choose. And now with the Me Too movement, now Woody Allen is on the outs, you know. But for a long time, so many of those actors worked with him oh, without yeah, fail. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And now it's not kosher to work with him. It's... You take the first poll. Okay. Uh, let's see here. All right. Oh, I hope it's yours. I hope it's yours. I hope it's yours. What'd you get? Ah, it is one of mine. Oh, all right. That's one on. I was telling Kathy about. Okay. This one says, should faith-based films always be rated G or PG? <laughs> Why not rated R? <laughs> okay. Because all the faith-based films I have seen have been G or PG. Actually, no, I take that back. I think the most recent one I saw... Where'd Passion Land? Was that not R? Well, Passion of the Christ is the only R-rated one. Okay. And it was for violence, um, you know, for the crucifixion. But I think, actually, I can only imagine by the Irwin brothers, I think, was PG-13. Okay. Because I think they have a couple of expletives, and then uh, there's drinking and um, some violence, a little bit of violence in there. Um, But I personally think... Because I am in ministry, my husband's a pastor, we've counseled, um, life in church is not always G or PG. The mm-hmm. things that sometimes happen in people's lives is actually can be very rated R. Yeah, um, yeah. Whether it's porn addiction, if it's, um, uh, you know, uh, marriage that's having problems because the wife was maybe molested as a child, you know, and is really struggling and to connect with intimacy. Yeah. From that. Um, so when I used to go to Hollywood and visit my friends after we had just moved here, a couple of them asked me, Oh, so is your life like Little House on the Prairie now that you're in ministry? And I, I said, No, it's more like an HBO series. It can be dark, it can be very edgy. Yeah, and you have people coming to you who are in need. Yeah. In, in need of help, not because right. their lives are so easy, but because yeah, they're broken. Yeah, there's yeah. difficult, difficult challenges right. that they're they're looking at, and they can't do them alone. Right. So they're reaching out. That's yeah. And I think that obviously, I wouldn't say that a faith based film should be gratuitously R, like with sex or something like that. But I think um, people use foul language, you know, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes there's drug use, sometimes there's situations where there's domestic violence. So um, I think sometimes we we may get to that point where a faith based project might be a little bit edgier. But I don't think a huge number of people in the faith-based community necessarily want to watch something that's rated R or edgy. I think a lot of them want to see those 
stories like I Can Only Imagine or Fireproof where the ending is pretty happy and yeah. faith has really resolved the issue and that type of thing. But that's not always, it doesn't always work out that way. And I think part of the struggle of faith is what happens when your prayer is not answered? What happens if your marriage does not get restored? Um, how does that, to me, that's, a, that's going to be the more interesting faith-based film in the future. So that would be my answer for that. Can I can I can I levy a, a, a question yes. against your respectfully I, I levy this <laughs> okay that that comes up for me it's too often that you know what happens if God doesn't answer, answer a prayer yeah. or you know why why do bad things happen to good mm-hmm. people it every every You talk about plateaus a little bit, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm calling back to that. Every every time I've boosted up to a higher plateau, every time I've I've seen from a new perspective, it was after a prayer was not answered. It was mm-hmm. after God yeah. that the feeling of love was absent. It was after a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. It was after pain, deep yeah. pain, yeah. fundamental pain, core pain, marrow pain. Yeah. So I've I I don't. I feel that question, it, it, uh, it always feels disingenuous to me. Like, pull back just a little bit, just a little bit, and you'll see the growth that comes when love is introduced to pain. Yeah. Love and love plus time plus pain equals love and time with no yeah. pain. <laughs> it's a very yeah. complicated equation. That yeah. was, it felt efficient when I started, but it was not when I finished. <laughs> so, I don't know. That's, my, that's where I'm at with that. You don't have to have an answer, but... Well, I was going to say that if you look at when Jesus is with the disciples, and I don't know if you've read the story about when they're in the boat and he's asleep and there's a huge storm, and they're so upset because they go to Jesus, they're like, why are you asleep? Don't you care that we will die? And he gets up and he says, oh, you have little faith. And Mm -hmm. then he tells the winds, you know, stop. And then it stops. Yep, yep, yep. And so what people don't realize about the story is that Jesus takes us through the storm but he's with us yeah but sometimes we feel that he's asleep at the wheel yeah yeah yeah. because we're sitting there like why am i going through this god like why would you allow this to happen but once we get to the other side we see wow like i i grew so much or i learned so much or my faith is even deeper than it's ever been because we don't usually turn to god when things are going well you know that's why jesus said it's it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven and what he meant by that is when you've got so much and you've got wealth and prosperity and this and that like why would you feel like you need god but when you're broken when you've lost mm-hmm. everything like i'm thinking about that poor woman who lost her her parents her husband her children her nephew and sister in that boating accident, the one that capsized. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she's lost everything. And I'll be curious to see, you know, what will what will her journey be here on out with everything that she's been going through. But there are people that lose everything and they come out on the other side and and they are just some of the most amazing resilient, strong people that shared this incredible testimony of what God has has enabled them to go through. And so I think as far as God answering prayer, He just doesn't always answer it the way we think. And sometimes we do have to go through those storms. And we might be saying, God, please don't let me go through the storm of life, or don't let me don't let me uh, don't let me get cancer or don't let me lose a child. But sometimes those things happen. Yeah. And how do we cope when we get through when we have to endure those things? 
So that's what I've seen in ministry. It's what I've experienced in my own life. And, and there is such beauty even in, in pain. <laughs> You're allowed to ding it too. Oh, you can dig. I'm, I'm I, having I might, way I too might, much fun I hearing might your answers. I my own though. questions here. <laughs> oh, let's, let's do this one. Ooh. You're on your deathbed. What's the accomplishment you're most proud of? Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, you know, it's so weird that you say that because I always get this sense that I'm not doing enough right now. Um, so if I'm on, on my deathbed right now, mm-hmm. I guess I would just say the greatest accomplishment is... Um, Being on the Hollywood Fishbowl. Thank you so much. <laughs> and we're <Yes>. done. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, just trying to love to my fullest uh, and without any condition. I think that's... That's yeah. not a bad accomplishment, loving yeah. loving fully. Yeah. Your turn. All right. Ring a ding ding. Do I ring? All right. Oh, you got to ring. What's the point of, of me carting around that concierge bell? All well, right. When I got that, I uh-huh. didn't know what it was called. So I went up to the counter and I said, do you have a bell? And they said, what kind? And I said, the kind that goes ding. And they, and they were the like, concierge? yeah, yeah, we got, yeah, the concierge bell. That they called the concierge yeah. bell. Oh my God. Okay. So this one says, what, what one medical advancement do you wish had never been invented I am, I'm ringing the bell psychically for Kathy. She, we had that one, and it was just a disaster. It was totally, totally no fun. Oh. Okay, what has been the strangest hour of your life? I've oh. got a question. Kathy, have you thought of a better answer for that since then, or is it flat? Okay, okay. <laughs> for the, You mean for the medical The medical bit, yeah. Oh, God. We hit a brick wall on that one. So That's what's a the, hard one. What's the new one? What has been the strangest hour of your life? Oh, that's a good one. Hour. Um, oh gosh, uh, I can't think of anything other than uh, Kathy knows uh, what happened to me. Uh, what happened to me on vacation a week ago, which was a man exposing himself to me. Oh dear, at the beach. Yeah, but it was. Uh, but I had my phone with me, and I very quickly took a picture of his license plate as he drove away. Oh, I started screaming. This man is exposing himself to me because I, I just in that moment, I just thought. This is BS. I am not going to take this. It is BS. And I'm not and letting you, you get away with it. this. Uh, so I started screaming, "This man's exposing!" And he started to drive away. But I had my phone, and I quickly whipped it out and took a picture of his of the back of his car with his license plate. And he also had an Uber and a Lyft sticker on the. Are back Are you of the joking? Car. No, that's um, amazing. So I very quickly called the police, and uh, yeah, so that felt like a very strange hour because you know it was weird because even earlier in the day I was thinking I'm in such a beautiful lazy beach town, and I thought I can't possibly imagine anything weird happening in a town like this it's so beautiful but yeah. to an hour later yep, yep. and something strange did happen to me <laughs> i'm trying to think what's my strangest hour there was the first time the, the okay the first time i saw I'm, i met my wife's mother she was on the gurney like it was oh. at the morgue oh and that was the gosh. first and last time I'm so that so was sorry that was a very strange hour that so was, she had just passed away yeah, we we went to Kenya for the funeral, oh. and we had to go to the morgue to to oh. say goodbye. I'm so and sorry. That was a, that was not a normal hour. As no. far as hours go, that oh. was off the map. Yeah. That was off charted territory yeah. for me. <sighs> oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's hoping. Next one's a little more fun. Oh, solutions, and we hold on. We have uh, we have music for this one. All right. Uh, <laughs> 
Solutions. Judging from the news and the way people talk, the end, di- the end days are nigh. <laughs> I say fooey. Let's talk about what's wrong and how we can fix it. And this music is way too long. <laughs> it's still going. Is it very ominous music? No, no. We listen to the episode. I think you'll be quite, quite pleasantly surprised with our solutions music. So the the, the thing that that consumes my mind is our, our solutions. We got anybody can piss and moan. Yeah. But what you know? What are we doing? What are we? What what's bugging you? And what what can we do to fix it? Uh, well, I think the national discourse where people don't listen and that um, I think part of it is we're just doing all of our dialoguing on social media rather than getting together over dinner with, you know, just all of us, you know, different conservative, liberal, moderate, just having dinner together and realizing we probably have a lot more in common than we think. And then there's some areas where we may not, but being able to agree to disagree rather than everybody just like vomiting all of their bile on social media. Social media has somehow removed our filter. And so we say and, and say things that we would never necessarily say in person. And so even worse, they are things that we would say in person and are doing so all too much yeah. recently. Yeah, well, and the Bible says that what proceeds, Jesus said, um, what proceeds out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So mm-hmm. whatever we are saying shows what's going on in the heart. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. There, I think what's frightening is to see, wow, this is kind of people unadulterated, like showing some of their true selves and what they think. And that is a little frightening. But it's it's just a lack of love, lack of um, courtesy, and the inability to try to just listen. No one wants to listen anymore. That is um, part of the reason I came back to America was mm-hmm. because I am deeply, deeply distressed by the the ever growing divide mm-hmm. between every every strata is just yeah. pulling further and further away from from its, yeah. its and and you know what now partner. that what we're what we're learning in the news about. Russian interference and all of that with all of our social media is that this is it, people tend to think of Russia as if we went to war with them it would be bombs no they you know it is Putin, a psychological war yeah, and it Putin is Putin was a KGB agent and he knows exactly how to get into our psychology and so he's he's winning right now um, this is exact having wildly. a divided America um, a country that is so fractious and contentious with each other is exactly by like that's giving him, I'm sure, tons of satisfaction. Yeah. It, I mean, even if you take out the freaking president who's bending over backwards to make him smile, even if that wasn't happening, they'd still be winning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So solution, solution, solution. Yes. <laughs> vote. Everyone out there, turn this pocket. You aren't allowed to listen to another minute until you're registered to vote. What have you got? Keep going. What else well, can we do? Well, I would say, you know, that we have to, like what Christ commanded, if we love others more than ourselves, we wouldn't be arguing like this. We, you know, we would want to not worry about things like, um, you know, when you hear people say, oh, we didn't, can't have people in our country and they're going to take away this or that. It's like, I, I just think that's not necessarily what Christ would want us to worry about. I think Christ says, I'll worry about taking care of you. Your job is to help take care of others. Your job is to love others, welcome strangers as I have welcomed you. Um, so I think, I think part of it is that if we all just spent time building each other up, loving one another, even when it's hard and loving our enemy, then we wouldn't be where we're at. And I cannot think of a better note to end on. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and showing me the world through your eyes. Oh, That's thank you. 
part of what we're trying to build here is uh, even if we are, uh, you and I are on very different ends of the spectrum in terms of faith, yeah. but to, to talk to you, to hear you, to, to understand your perspective means the world to me. I really deeply, sincerely oh, mean that. Well, so. thank you. And if I could just say one parting word about faith-based movies. Hit me. Um, you can say, I, we have another like 20 hours on this audio. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I do, I do hope that people will continue to be supportive of them because without more supportive faith-based movies, they won't get better. You know, the more that people see them, the more that there's a market and money um, for for faith-based filmmakers to experiment and try new things and be more daring and bold. Um, I look at the Irwin brothers who did, I can only imagine, and I, I look at them and, I, and, and my friend Dallas Jenkins, they grow as filmmakers. The more movies they get to make, the better they, they mm-hmm. become. You know, Steven Spielberg didn't get to Schindler's List until he made many, many, many movies before then and was given yeah, there, an there opportunity. There was a duel in there. There was a 1942 <laughs> in there yes. before we got to, to Schindler's List. Yes, and his, was didn't he do one of the Twilight Zone episodes that was that movie, the film version? I think he did Kick the yeah. Anyway, but if all, uh, <laughs> if all it costs is one nineteen forty two to get one Schindler's List, yes, that's fair trade. Exactly. Totally, we're still operating at a profit. Yeah. So I just I hope that people will be supportive, and even though they may not like faith based films, they will get better, um, and they are getting better. And similarly, I my heed and my call to faith-based filmmakers is um, to take some risks, step out of your comfort zone creatively and challenge us faith-based watchers uh, because, um, yeah, some of us want to be spoon-fed that, you know, good old saccharine sweet story, but sometimes we also need to watch the harder faith-based stories. I think that's the biggest barrier to entry is anyone who's not watching faith-based films thinks that it's like sanctimonious, yeah. just preaching. Yeah, yeah. just hammering jack hammering yeah. the the word of the lord yeah and there's some and, you know like the kendrick brothers who did fireproof and um you know they i think they know exactly who their audience is um they also did war room i think they know who their audience is and they they cater to that and, and they do that well for that audience i i'm hoping that they also because they're getting better as filmmakers mm-hmm. so i also want them to try to do something that's a little bit different and outside of their their creative zone and like i said i think the Irwin brothers are are the examples that I'm seeing um, that they're going above and beyond being a little bit edgier. I can only imagine was definitely an edgier film for faith-based audiences. And there was huge crossover appeal. Lots of um, secular people came to watch a film because it had Dennis Quaid. Um, it had a song that was somewhat familiar. People were kind of familiar with that song, even if they weren't into Christian music at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited to see the future of faith-based um, media. And I'm excited to know, I'm, I'm really happy to know that the voice, like the, the, what you brought to this conversation to know that that voice is, is going to be having an influence on, on the evolution of the, the genre. Mm-hmm. Really reassuring. Oh, really, really you. reassuring. I so, hope so. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> thank we, you for having me. We got some goodbye music. I'm going to cue that up and you won't hear it until you listen to your episode. <laughs> this has been the Hollywood Fishball. And I've been Jesse Kester. I will continue to be Jesse Kester. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at HWFishbowl. And if you want to find us on the web, you can find us at www.hollywoodfishbowl.com. Oh, and we are over on Facebook. We have a page, but I don't remember what it is. So good luck with that. But hey, it's not about us. It's about our guest, Sonia. 
Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you're building? Well, they could go to www.soniapiperdosti.com. That's S-O-N-J-A-P-I-P-E-R-D-O-S-T-I.com. Anywhere else? A Twitter, a Facebook? Yeah, I have Twitter at SP Dosti. I think that's my Twitter handle. (laughs) And I do have a Facebook page. All right. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. And right now I'm just talking till the music runs out. It's still running. And now it's almost done. And now it's done. Now it's done. (laughs) 